0: You for listening to this podcast message from Stone Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Sandler. You know, I was uh, shuffling through Facebook the other day, or as I refer to it, the Devil's Playground, and uh, I was looking. That's a joke. It's okay, guys. It's all right. I promise. But a lot of you had posted this, and I remember this. How many of you remember lawn darts or jarts? Do you remember these things? See, they weren't technically darts, they're actually considered missiles and that's exactly what they were now a disclaimer that i've been asked to put up by our legal department still presbyterian church has not condoned the use of lawn darts in any way shape or form even though they are awesome they are also awesomely dangerous so do not use those all of you listening to our podcast at home we do not want you to lose an eye to lawn darts okay now that i've said that lawn darts are awesome (laughs) And I remember when I was a kid, so kids nowadays, we strap helmets on them to send them to the mailbox, right? Not so in the 70s and 80s. We have this moon buggy thing for VBS we found at the attic sale that's been totally souped up and redone. And it's one of those things made out of plastic that has like a 500-million-year half-life, like big wheels. Like, they're indestructible. They may break, but that plastic will last forever, you know? Lawn darts were like that, big metal tip, big wings that had kind of this, some of them had the wing that would change positions. Uh, and it's kind of like, it's funny, the Virgin Galactic spaceship reminds me of a lawn dart or like a, a shuttlecock, like um, from playing badminton, right? When, if you've ever seen you know what I'm talking about, so, you know, if you don't remember these, you'd throw them up in the air, you were always supposed to throw them out and put them in a ring. But what do we do? We play bigger and better, don't we? So what do you do? You put it somewhere up into the ionosphere, and try to land it in this little ring somewhere else, kind of like a game of darts. But what goes up? Yeah, so funny story. My dad had a fishing cabin on uh, the, the river, the Shenango River near the Pima-Tuming Reservoir in PA. All right, very classy place surrounded by trailers and shacks and shanties. It was kind of fun. I loved it. It was always an adventure. Our neighbors would start a fire trying to fix up an old car that should be junked about once a week it was a great place to hang out for like eight or ten year old boy and the neighbor guy raymond and i down the street we would play lawn darts and what we would do is we'd wait till about 10 o'clock at night till all the bugs were coming off the river and then a giant swarm of bats we had a bat at our blood drive recently so some people may remember that but a giant swarm of bats would come in for drive-through dinner right because all the bugs are coming off the river so raymond and i were about 10 years old we get the idea what if we tried to pick these guys off with lawn darts? <laughs> now, of course, granted, it's, it's summer, so it's like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night when it's getting dark and the bats are coming out. So we're out at a 10 o'clock at night trying to pick off the, these flocks of you know, bats with who knows what disease with lawn darts. And lo and behold, we hit one. So I pick it up and run into my dad's, <laughs> where my dad is, with Raymond's dad and a bunch of other guys, and they were doing what most guys would do at a fishing camp at night when you don't fish, they were playing poker. And my dad said, that's great, take it outside, lay it in the yard away from where you are, wash your hands, and most of all, don't tell your mother. (laughs) Of course I did, because I was proud of what a great hunter and marksman I was. And I remember that day being perplexed as why my mom was waiting for my dad when he came home from the bank that day. Why, he, why she was just waiting to talk with him. And my dad came over and he said, Son, I told you the most important rule of what happens at the fishing camp. You don't tell your mother about how I let you throw firecrackers at the fish and lawn darts at the bats and shoot the pellet gun at whatever you want. And You're not supposed to tell that. So the point of today's message is, first of all, dads are awesome. They're awesome for little boys, and, and I, I try to do the same thing. When my son left for Camp Carl, one of the first things he asked me as he was packing this year is, where are my throwing knives? And I said, son, the kids aren't going to be that bad. You're not going to need throwing knives. But dads have this responsibility to do some crazy things, and every once in a while when they're off doing something they want to do and maybe boys get in a little too much trouble, dads want to be there to guide them, but we've got to let them have a little a little bit of fun too, but in today's story from God's Word, we're going to learn about a different dad. We're going to learn about Isaac in the Bible and about his twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And you see, Isaac is one of those guys that God chose to keep that covenant of faith and of grace, and all the things uh, going all the way through that we see in Jesus Christ come to fruition as we've been learning the Book of Romans. But Isaac. He was kind of an absent dad in a lot of ways. And the family that he had with his wife Rebecca, they were not perfect. And I think we should have a little backstory here. It's a difficult story. Parts of this, as we're going to read a little bit, are going to be painful for us. So quickly here, I want to get you up to speed as to what we're about to encounter. A pivotal moment in Jacob and Esau's life and their family's existence. Jacob decides that he's going to steal his brother's blessing. Now, he's already tricked his brother into giving him his blessing for a bowl of stew. You see, his brother Esau wasn't really a godly guy. He didn't have a lot of concern for what God was about. He married some girls that weren't particularly interested in what God would have at all. They weren't good girls, and he was interested in going out and being a manly man. He was kind of the Ron Swanson of the early world. He probably whittled things out of wood, and he liked to hunt a lot, and that's all fine and good, but his heart was not devoted to God. Now, Jacob his brother, from early on, God had declared, Jacob is my guy. Esau, no, he's not, he's not my guy. I don't like him. God knew all things, he understood all things. He, as sovereign, God understood all things. And Rebekah, his mom, she understood this. And while Isaac, their dad, favored Esau, Rebekah favored Jacob. He hung around and uh, watched a lot of HGTV with mom and did a lot of that kind of stuff. He was a good guy. He loved the Lord, but she knew that God had chosen him, and so she tried to mind the gap and be there for him. So this all plays out in a difficult series of events. As we're going to see, Rebecca decides she's going to make sure that the blessing that God wants to give to Jacob goes there. She chooses one son, and the firstborn, culturally as we know, he was the one. Remember in the book of Romans, we had just learned in Romans 7 that in God we're all the firstborn, in Romans 8 we learned that that all comes true. In Romans 7, we're all sinners, we don't have it together. In Romans 8 we learn, but you know what, God treats all of us, young and old, men and women, slave and free, Greek and Jew, we're all as if we're God's firstborn we get all the inheritance. We get all the riches. We get all the adoption. Yet culturally, Jacob wasn't supposed to have that. And Rebekah decides, you know what? Now's the time. We're going to make this happen. She doesn't wait on God. Isaac doesn't even seek God. He lets Esau do whatever. It's a giant, giant mess. And as this plan unfolds, it's the undoing of a family. As we're going to see today, at the end of the story, Rebecca never sees her boys again. Isaac, their father, dies in despair, and two brothers are pitted against each other in a life and death conflict. Yet, I want us today to see our own reflection in this very dysfunctional family in God's word, as God's mercy abounds in their hurts, and in their brokenness, in their faults, and in their needs, just like he does for us. So let's read this morning. We're going to open up Genesis 27. We're going to look verses 1 through 35. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field, and hunt game for me. And prepare and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious foods such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He he answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the faintness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let all people, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you, and bless be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau's brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat some of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. What gets a family to this moment, to this situation? As we studied this earlier uh, this spring with uh, the Fantastics, our Thursday morning study, I said it reminds me, and they're, they're the, the seasoned saints of the church, so a lot of you will get this, some of you won't. Anybody remember the TV show Dallas? They brought that back. Man, this makes Bobby and Jr. look like nothing, right? Yeah. A family at odds, at war, fighting, battling with each other. Dr. Tim Keller says this is the first recorded example of identity theft in Scripture. <laughs> Think about that long before the Internet, friends, it happens. How do people get this desperate? How does this happen? How does this happen? Simply put, this deep, destructive, and painful account from God's Word that we read is something we need to hear, we need to understand, because it's born out of our basic human needs. If you ever took a psych class, a 101 through 301 in, in college, if you're in some of a, you know, uh, a humanities type of uh, study, or a, you know if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, or a counselor, you may be familiar with the psychologist Abraham Maslow, who in 1934 came up with Maslow's Need Hierarchy. Have you guys ever heard of that before? So basically it's this pyramid, and the idea is you have these needs that are the needs, the better you. You have your B needs, and they you have your D needs, your deficient needs, your foundational needs. And the idea is you have to start at the bottom of the pyramid and work your way up. Now, the first things you have are your physio- physiological needs, food, water, shelter. You just need those to survive, to exist. Now, you can go a long time. The human body can survive about 30 days without food. But you really need water. You can't survive very long without that. But aside from that, once we get beyond that we still exist, bottom of the pyramid, the next thing up is safety and security. To know that you have yourself in a place where you are connected, where you don't have to fight for your life. Fight or flight, right? The primitive reflexes we all have, fight or flight. But to get beyond that, those basic foundational needs, we get into the things that help us develop to what we call self-actualization, to becoming our potential, to being the best part of who God made us to be, right? Love, belonging, intimacy, a sense of connection, of value, emotional intimacy, relational intimacy, the importance of the family, something that's not real popular in our world today, something we talk about here at our church unashamedly. Why? Because God's word teaches it. It's not a political matter. It's who God made us to be. It's a human basic needs matter. And we see that play out in God's word this morning. Our deepest needs have to be met to be happy, to be healthy, to be productive members of society. You don't even have to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian here today, you would believe that and say that, right? We would say that. If those things aren't met, we're never going to get to the point where we really have value. We have those esteemed values. We don't have that going on after that and beyond that. So what does that have to do with what we see here in this moment of deceit and treachery? What gets a family to this point? What does Abraham Maslow's need hierarchy have to do with what we just read with Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah? Everything. Everything. Why? because you don't know from God's word what Jacob hated the most about himself. It was his name. Now, if you've named somebody Jacob, don't be sad. It's different in today's world. But his name, Jacob, Yacob, that name was not a name of endearments. His name, Hakeb, from that word heal or rear, The lowest, the last of a sequential amount, sequentially coming. In other words, if you had 500 people lined up, number 500 out of 500 is Hakeb, the lowest, the least, the last. More than that, his name beyond that, Hakeb, that word means overreacher, insidious, deceiver, tricky, treacherous one who is filled with deceit simply put whenever anyone called jacob's name they said hey you the liar that thinks you're better than you are in that culture your name was your identity even in our world we understand that if your name for someone in your life that's important you have a legacy you want to live up to for that person i shared before, my niece is named for my great-grandmother, Clara. She has kind of a cool name, not popular. Everybody has QC names. She's a Clara. It's a great name. And we tell her stories of our great-grandmother because she never got to meet her. And she understands kind of who she is. It gives her a sense of identity, of belonging, of intimacy in our family. My kids are named for people in our family who have value who are people that are loved. I'm sure you guys have names in your kids and grandkids and people you know. It's the same thing. But even more, your identity in the nomadic world that Jacob and Esau lived in, your name was everything. Every time someone called Jacob's name. They said, hey, loser, liar, deceiver, deceiver, cheater, you. Now maybe they just meant, hey, Jake, how are you today? But what did Jacob hear? What would you have heard? Can you imagine having that burden? And then seeing lived out how your father loved your brother and he could do no wrong. Maybe you've known a situation. Maybe today Father's Day is painful because you've lived in a situation like that. And I'm sorry if you don't know that, but we're talking about what a father's love should be today and we're looking at God's word, but God's word is real. And the people in it are messed up. This is like Dr. Phil House, guys. Why? Why? Because we're going to see how God's, redemption, how God's redemption is at work. Isaac had placed burden and shame and guilt on his son. His son was desperate, desperate to get past that. His mother was desperate and angry. As much as he favored the one son, she favored the other. It was truly a house divided. Just as we're named for people in our families, we understand this idea of legacy. What we do makes a difference. Who we are makes a difference. If your dad names you deceitful liar who wants to get ahead from birth, sometimes you can make that stuff come true in the life of a kid, can't you? And as we see, he was very deceitful along with his mom in this passage today. First rule for men who are to lead. Isaac was not leading in his home, not in his heart, but certainly not with his words. Men of the church, your words matter. So speak life to other people. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Maybe you've heard of the love languages. Dr. Gary Smalley's done. There's love languages. He keeps figuring out new ones because culture is pretty diverse and it does adapt. For some people, for many of us, words of affirmation are particularly what we desire. But for all of us, words have power. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never, you know, they, they, but they do, don't they? They build me up, or they tear me down to nothing. Not just if words of affirmation is your love language, but because we're all built that way. If every time at my gym I got done with a set on the weights when the 60-year-old woman next to me crushed more weight than me, because that happens all the time. If I see one more 60-year-old super mom with the chain around her neck doing push-ups, well, I can barely do them without. She looks like Dwayne The Rock Johnson and I'm just, like, trying to survive my workout, if they don't come over and just say, hey, good job, do I want to keep going? No. How much more so with your mom or dad, with your husband or wife, parents and grandparents and children and grandchildren? Think about that. What did Jacob hear when his dad said his name, what did the people around you hear when you talked to them? Sure, you may go back later and say, "I'm so sorry, I've done that." We've all done it. Isaac had no excuse. He had no excuse for what he said, for how he acted, and because he, as an earthly father, didn't respect his, didn't reflect the heavenly father, it was painful. You see, all Jacob wanted, what led them to this moment was he wanted so deeply to be seen, to be loved, and to be known. We all do. And I would say to you today that Abraham Maslow was on to something because this comes from the brokenness of sin, our relationship severed with our Heavenly Father. We all want to be known. We all want to hear someone, something greater than us, say, I love you. You matter to me. You're not perfect. You don't need to be. I love you. You're enough. Friends, is that not what God says to us? Is that not what Christ came to prove to us? We all need to be seen, to be loved, to be known. Not just in our times of when we excel, but in our times of when we fail. God is the God that comes near who has belonging. He's the God that came to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden, the God that comes near, the God that sends Christ Jesus to be with us, that we would have restored relationship, that we could belong and be adopted into the family of God. That's what we've been learning about in the book of Romans. We need, we crave to be known by the one who created us. Men, we have a powerful role. We have a powerful role. And when men are present, we know moms and grandmas and other people do a great job of filling in that gap, and we applaud you. We thank you for it. But hopefully there are men in the lives of young men in our country, rich or poor, black or white, wherever they are, that are able to fulfill those roles who set the example as they should, who encourage them and who challenge them the right way, And who are men and are not ashamed of that. Who cherish their wives and their daughters and teach them that dignity and all the things that Proverbs 31 talks about is what a woman should be. Men who love and care for them. Who speak life and build them up. We need these godly men. And if you're here in our church, whether you're unmarried, whether you're a parent or grandparent, whether you have kids or not, an aunt and uncle, whatever you are, you can be Someone like that to someone in our church, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, and you should. Isaac turned a blind eye to Jacob, but he turned a blind eye to Esau as well. Esau was out doing all kinds of things. He didn't care about things of God. He said, I don't need my blessing. He said, I don't care. And his dad slapped him on the back and said, boys will be boys. He was an absent father he heaped approval on his son Esau when his son wasn't living for the Lord at all despite the fact that he didn't care he said you get my blessing and he didn't even care where his other son was where Jacob was or what he was doing now Rebecca she had heard God's promise but she didn't trust God either she didn't trust God she said I need to figure this out. I'm going to make my kid number one. He's going to be in every club and every activity, and he's going to be the best and the brightest, and isn't he going to be perfect? You think Velcro parenting is something we invented today? No. Neither parent sought God first. Parents and grandparents. Seek the Lord first. Speak life into the lives of your children and grandchildren. So many people tell me, Pastor, I don't know, I shared an article this week about how if church attendance is not something that matters to your family, to your kids, if it's marginal for you, it's not going to be anything for your kids. And you're going to come back to me later and say, How did this happen? It happens all the time. It does. It happens all the time. Pastor, we can't come. We're so busy. Then I'm going to tell you the truth. You need to quit something. You do. If you bring your kid into church on Sunday and teach them that Jesus is Lord of all and over everything, and that's the last they hear about it or see it modeled or spoken about or mattering during the week, don't be surprised when it doesn't matter to them. I have watched too many kids over the last 30 years that I've ministered to go off the rails and their parents sit there and say, I don't know, we came to church eight times a year. Why do my kids not care? Yet, mother and father, son and daughter, all are hungering for the one thing that Jesus stands here and says, I've got it. I want to give it to you. What legacy are you leaving? Your choices matter. Learn the truth of God's word. Get involved. We have that study for women. We have our men's ministry. Go on the missions trip. Make time, even just come for an evening, but be involved. Paul had this relationship with Timothy. Timothy's mom and grandma are mentioned as spiritual giants in his life. Paul had a role as a spiritual father to Timothy. We don't know if Timothy had a dad or if he passed away. That's what we Assume scholars believe Timothy's dad must have passed away. But look, he says, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. His mom and grandma did that. And Paul says, it's important for them. Scripture is important. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. The relationship of God's word that teaches, that trains us for righteousness, that equips us for what God desires if we don't equip our children to combat the darkness and the lies in our world with the light and the truth of Scripture, why are we surprised with the results? What legacy will you leave behind with what you say, with what you do, where you place your time, your money, your focus? Teach your kids what's true. You see, Jacob's story could be any of ours. Maybe you had a tough mom and dad situation. I'm blessed. My mom and dad were great. I'm so thankful because I know how hard it is. Jacob's so broken, he ends up wrestling with God. Physically wrestling with God later. All the hurt, all the anger. He fights with God till daybreak. And finally God says, look, you're broken. In fact, you're going to limp around from this. But I love you. You're mine. You belong to me. Just as we learned in Romans, he says, you're mine. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to give you a new name. Your name's going to be Israel. And yet, as you read forward in Scripture, even Jacob's sons deal with deceit and favoritism in the story of Joseph and his brothers. Jacob was loved. He was accepted. But he wasn't perfect, and he had a lot of hurt. But he got the one thing he desperately needed. His heavenly father looked him in the eye and said, I love you, I accept you, and you're enough. Yeah, you're broken, yeah, you're hurt. But I'm accepting you. Some of you this day, maybe you have someone you need to seek reconciliation with. Maybe it's someone who's long gone and you just need to leave something go that God needs to take. But what legacy will you leave? See, in Joel here, in Joel chapter 1, God's people are facing plagues and destruction for disobedience and all these things. But even there, Joel says, hey, make sure you tell your children and your grandchildren and their grandchildren and to every generation, pass on the reality that we're all broken people. We need to seek after God. That's what Jacob needed to learn. That's what we all need to learn. We need to quit pretending we have it all together. Our kids and our grandkids know better. We need to seek God in our brokenness and be real. Sometimes that means we need to seek forgiveness. Just as God sought out Jacob, just as God seeks us out. He says, you are known, you are accepted, you belong. I love you. Yes, the insecurities and the hurts are still there. Yes, some bad things are still going to happen. Some of the family dysfunctions, you see them, they're passed on. You know what I'm talking about, all of you. Your kid or grandkid does something and you wince because you know where that comes from. But God says, My grace is with you. My grace is sufficient for you. And by grace you're saved through faith, not because you've got it right, because Christ did. Not because you got it all worked out, but because God already knew. And He comes to us just as He came to Jacob and grabbed onto him and held him until he stopped fighting. You are known to your Heavenly Father. And if you need to give Him something today, do that. But more than that, because He's accepted Jesus Christ, He loves and accepts you. That's what we all desperately crave, just as Jacob did, that we have a Father who loves us. And if you didn't have a Father like that, you still do. You have a Heavenly Father who loves you, who accepts you, exactly in the midst of the mess of who you are. You're not going to be perfect tomorrow or the day after, but he's going to hold on to you and he's going to love you and he's going to walk with you. He says, I know you, I love you, and you are enough. So, friends, today, what legacy are you going to leave? Men of the church, women too, of course, but men, as you lead in your homes, in your community, in your neighborhood, in this church family, What legacy will we leave? I like what D.L. Moody, the great evangelist and preacher said, a man ought to live so that everybody knows he is a Christian. And most of all, his family ought to know. Every moment of every day and what we've done right and where we've fallen short, how will we seek Christ first Abide in him and pass on that love and grace, that truth and hope to the next generations. Let's pray. Father, for all of us here today, we had great moms and dads, or maybe we've had some rough situations, but we know we're loved by you and that you are the father to those of us that may even feel fatherless today. So that we would know what it means to be loved, to be accepted, to know that we are enough in your eyes. Not because we have it all together, but precisely because we don't and we rest in you for our our hope, for our salvation, for our strength. God, for each and every one here today, whether this is a day of jubilation or a day of painful memories, that we would rest and abide in you, that we would seek you first above all things, that we would understand that we are to belong to you. That just as you put these stories in Scripture, that we would understand That first and foremost, we need to repent and just lay our lives before you. As men that we would lead in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, that we would stand up for what's true, that we would not apologize for being the people that you created us to be. That we would be men of integrity, of strength, of courage, and of faith, but also of compassion. As Ephesians 5 calls us to, that we would sacrifice for our loved ones, that we would lay our lives down as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for it, that we would belong to you. God, would we lead the way that your church would be stronger, that our families would be better, that our community would be a better place, that people would look at us and say, what is it about those men from that church that makes a difference? I pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the one person who can make it happen. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.
1: Please stand and sing. Above all. We blossom and flourish and leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but not change at thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of
0: friends go into all the world render to no one evil for evil but strengthen the faint-hearted uphold the weak love and serve the lord your god rejoicing in the power of the holy spirit and may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all now and forevermore amen